Welcome to Beat the Culture. I'm your host, Grace Walker, and each week we dive a little bit deeper into what's going on in the world and the culture, and we like to analyze it with a biblical perspective, aiming to educate and encourage you to think for yourself, and instead of following the culture, beat it. Beat the Culture. New episodes every Thursday. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Beat the Culture. We're so excited for today because we have an amazing guest. And before we dive right in, I just want to tell you guys, today is going to be a phenomenal episode. Our guest has so much education, and we're actually talking about the education system in America. Some of the things that we think could be improved, and just kind of overall her experience with the education system. And on the show with me today, I have Chrissy Clark. So Chrissy, why don't you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about what you do and your job? Hey, Grace. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. And hello to all you listeners. This is great to be on. Um, My name is Chrissy Clark. And right now I'm an education and uh, just general beat reporter at the Daily Wire, which is Ben Shapiro's media outlet. It's such a great gig. I'm so happy. Um, I started out in journalism just two years ago. I graduated from Michigan State with a political science degree focused on statistics. And I just kind of made my way into this weird field of um, education insanity is what I've been calling it. And it's really never been a better time to be in journalism because there's just so much to be talked about. And there are so many people that don't want to talk about what we're talking about, which makes what we're doing all the more interesting. That is so true. And it's so inspiring to see people like you who are willing to take that step, take that kind of leap of faith to be outspoken on your views, be outspoken on some of the things that we're dealing with in this world, because we need people like I've talked about many times on the show, but we need people to have that confidence, be able to stand up and speak up for our beliefs. And I think that's just so amazing when we like find people who are willing to do that like you. So how did you end up working for the Daily Wire? That's got to be a story. Yeah, it was very odd. I um, I didn't really have a, lot, a big plan. I went to a big school, uh, Michigan State University in East Lansing, and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. I used to be a dancer and I knew I liked to perform, I guess. And then I knew I liked politics. It was something that we always talked about at the dinner table uh, growing up in my family. So I just wanted to kind of find an, a cross section for that. And to me, that was journalism. So I went to the Heritage Foundation, which is a right of center think tank in Washington, D.C., and did an internship there. And I really wanted to do more of this opinion writing type deal. And I wanted to be a Fox News anchor host. Like that was like my goal. Mm. And that's really what I wanted to do. Um, And then I moved over. I was really fortunate to get a great mentor over at the Daily Signal, where I was at the Heritage Foundation, which is their internal communications outlet. So I was there for a little while. uh, And they helped me connect with The Federalist, which is another right of center paper. And they were awesome. They really took a chance on me and did a year-long fellowship with them. After that, I moved over to a more establishment-type news outlet that really taught me about reporting. And I remember feeling a little frustrated at The Federalist because I wanted to do more opinion pieces, but I also had great mentors, and I'm so thankful for them, that they were like, you're 22 years old. No one really cares about your opinion. And I'm so glad that someone said that to me because it really... It humbled me and it allowed me to open my eyes to reporting, which I had not 
seen as something I wanted to do. I wanted to stay in that opinion lane. So I was kind of against it, but I moved over to the Washington Free Beacon, which is one of the best right of center. I wouldn't even know if they're in their ideologically right of center, but they have great people um, that have gone on to report at the Daily Beast, at MSNBC. Like they just have a very good bar for creating reporters. And so I went there and what I only worked for there for nine months, but they were just so good at what they did that they created a reporter out of somebody that wanted to be an opinion journalist. And so from there, the Daily Wire had seen a lot of my investigative reporting and content, and um, they offered me a job doing the same thing on their brand new investigative team. And it wasn't necessarily, I loved the free weekend. I loved everything I was doing. I just wanted to move over to a company that wasn't in DC because I find that um, I'm very much aligned with the idea that culture is, um, or politics is downstream of culture. So if I want to fight in the political sphere, I need to fight um, in the cultural sphere first off. And I didn't think I could do that in Washington, D.C., where everyone is entrenched in ideas. So I decided to take a leap of faith and move to Nashville, where um, I'll work for The Daily Wire. And it's really exciting. It's a new adventure. Wow. That's so fun that you brought that up about the idea of how politics is downstream from culture or you know what I'm saying but uh, that's just that's totally something I talked about last week and that's so interesting to hear that so many other people agree with that because I feel like that's kind of a hard agenda to push a lot of people disagree but it is it's very truthful I mean you know people in the culture it's the the government of the people here in the United States so it's always going to start from what the people want and it's going to make its way up into legislation so it's very important that we are aware of this so that we can be confident sticking up for our beliefs in the culture and eventually making those changes um, in the government as well. But that's super great. And so one thing that I noticed, I was reading some of your articles, is I, I know that you're very passionate about the American education system and kind of improving their flaws and writing writing articles on some issues that we see in the schools. So I see you you have a series about education insanity. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I started that off at um, the Free Beacon, my previous employers, and I called it This Week in Campus Insanity. And it's kind of molded into um, you know, the Campus Insanity one really focused on what was going on on college campuses. Um, but I didn't think that was enough. So when I moved over to the Daily Wire, I pitched a similar idea, but called it education insanity and focused more, not just on what's happening on college campuses, but what's happening more broadly, um, on public education, like in the public education system in general, even now it's made its way into private education institutions. Um, it's really insane. So I kind of go through in detail 10 of the most insane stories of the week. And I'm on volume 12 at this publication, but I I think I did probably like 32 volumes at my last one. And to think that that you could come up with 10 stories, I mean, the article takes me about like probably 20 minutes to write. I mean, it's just a simple column. I'm just compiling stories that happen throughout the week, yet I can come up with 10 literally insane stories. I mean, even you look at number 10, it's still an insane story. So there's just so much going on in our education system that it's insanity that I could even write a column called education insanity and it'd be so easy to write. Right. That just shows that there's clearly an issue with what agenda that we're pushing in the schools and how it's affecting the next generation of Americans. So what are a couple 
stories that really stick out to you that you've written on, just so we can kind of give the audience an idea of what education insanity is in our eyes and some things that we're seeing in real life now. Yeah. So one of my first stories that I thought really, it was my first real investigative story that I thought it was, I really broke news. Um, two of them, the first one being, um, I was think it was one of the first, if not the first person in the nation to break the doc. No, I know I was the very first person in the nation. I won't be humble about it. I was the person that broke the Dr. Seuss story. Um, so that no was a really way. big story. And yeah, um, that, you know, for instance, everybody knows that like Dr. Seuss was canceled. Um, but I have some great connections in the Loudoun County Public School District, which is a very large, if not, I think it's the most affluent, like the richest school district in the entire nation. It's in Virginia, like a little west of DC. And they just have the most insane diversity, equity, and inclusion directors there. And they had decided that they were going to cancel Dr. Seuss from Read Across America Week, which is on Dr. Seuss's birthday, but it's really just pushes the idea that like, hey, you should read. Reminder to like get a public library card and partake in reading and educate yourself and all that fun stuff. So this year, um, a diversity and inclusion director at the Loudoun County Public School District announced that Dr. Seuss books would not be included in Dr. Seuss's Read Across America Day because Dr. Seuss had some problematic images from that he had drawn prior to writing any of his books or being known as Dr. Seuss. So um, that is, you know, that was crazy. I wrote about it. And then not only did it turn into the story that it turned into, but Dr. Seuss actually listened to these diversity and equity and inclusion heads and went through with canceling some of their own books and pulled them from the shelves. So, I mean, this education insanity, it starts on a small scale, but now you have to pay thousands of dollars to read one of Dr. Seuss's so-called problematic books. And to me, that's the kind of reporting that really has a huge impact on people. And, you know, that came the same week that Cardi B was on stage singing WAP and gyrating on another female and talk about culture. And it's like, so I can, I can watch, I can tell my child to watch WAP, but I can't, I can't read a Dr. Seuss book. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And you exactly brought up the point that I was going to make next. It's just the people and the things that we're canceling in comparison to the people and the things that need to be canceled. And I'm not even a fan of cancel culture in general, but just the idea of what we're pushing and what we're allowing for our society. And even like you said, for our kids to see, it's just awful. And it's like, who is in charge of making this decision? When are we going to draw the line of what's appropriate and what's not? Because it's just, the line is so foggy right now and it's none of it's making sense. Yeah. Well, it's about people. I, I try really hard to be cynical. Sorry. I should really preface that. I tried so hard not to be a cynical person. I, used to consider myself probably like two, three years ago, like a pretty strong Republican. And like, I really stuck to my side of the aisle and, and didn't really want to hear too much of like the other side. Now I very much consider myself more of a conservative. Um, and less, I don't really care for the Republican party. It's not that I don't vote for them, but I'm in, I live in DC. So I, I registered myself as a Democrat so I could vote for the most conservative liberal, if that makes sense. And like, I just have really lost my affiliation to Republican politics, which I think actually makes me a better journalist. Um, And with that being said, you know, I don't really have an affiliation to the Republican Party or the people that uh, really push that anymore. I just doesn't, doesn't care. Like, I I just don't care about it anymore. 
But when I look at this, I just can't see it as anything other than incredibly cynical because these are Democrats or more so like very left-wing radicals that want to have a large control over your life. And in order to do that, they need to tell you what you can and cannot view, even if it literally makes no sense to the common American. And so to me, that's just, it's so, it's being so out of touch and there's, there's just no other way to explain it. There's no reason why we, sh- we should allow children to look at Cardi B and call that women's empowerment and not be allowed to read Dr. Seuss. There's just no logical explanation. Seriously. And so I wanted to dive into what has caused you, like any personal experiences or certain articles that you've read that have really caused you to be so passionate about the education system. So one of the reasons why I was really interested in education issues in general is because I started writing for Campus Reform, which is a great organization. They're partnered with a conservative think tank, and they really hone in on these education issues. So I started writing about that back in college, and I don't know if I would necessarily necessarily say I was passionate about it, but I really I really did like it, and it was my only way to write. They ended up offering me a grant to start a similar publication at Michigan State. So I actually started my own kind of like conservative watchdog publication where I would look at campus issues. And then I also had a a job with Turning Point USA where I had worked um, with a lot of students. So I was getting a lot of tips from students about things that were happening on their campus once I started in journalism. And the two just kind of mixed together of like my previous experience and what I did in college and what I wanted to do long-term with journalism, and they just kind of intermixed, and it all kind of fell into place. There wasn't one thing I would say that really made me go, oh, I I need to focus on this education issue. Um, I just had a long past of dealing with it. I've experienced it myself as a right-of-center person on a very liberal college campus, so I don't know. It was just something that I, I don't know how it really worked out, but it ended up working out really well for me. Absolutely. And as you have been, like you said, you were on a liberal college campus and you were just surrounded by so many different students and hearing different people's opinions, things like that. Have there been any specific things that you've noticed that are really mean a lot to the students that they want to see improved in the education system? Or do we feel that this is more of a, from an outsider's perspective, are the students actually feeling the effect of what's going on within the school systems? Or is it just us from an outsider view? I think in, K th- in the K through 12 system, um, students know, like they understand what's going on and they don't really get it. Like there are kids that go, wait, why is it racist for me to say something about a black student? But when a black student says that about me, it's not racist. Like I, these kids are so naive that they are actually smarter than the adults that are teaching them because they're like, I, I simply don't understand. This is not common sense. So I think the K through 12 system, yes. Um, but when you start to get maybe even closer to like 11th, 12th grade, and then into college, um, people start getting so entrenched in their own ideology that they really lose sight of what they're learning or understand how they're learning it. And so I think that right now, you know, the, the, it's the college experience that where people are really losing their minds and um, they can't fare to have a discussion like they do maybe in the K through 12 system, even though the K through 12 system, uh, it's a lot harder to make an argument as a ninth grader. I mean, I can't imagine standing up to my teacher as a ninth grader, but I definitely could as a, a 13th, 14th in college. So um, it's more difficult to have those conversations when you're young and naive, but you're also 
they're the ones that are understanding what's going on. You get to, to college and it's like, you're afraid to speak up for fear of being canceled or being talked to, talked down to by your professors who we all know are liberal or talked down to by your classmates who are full-blown socialists. So I think it's more possible in the K through 12 system, but very difficult for students to actually stick up for themselves. Whereas, you know, in the K or in the college education system, Students are just too afraid, even right. though they know so what's going on. I really on. love that point that you said about the naivety being kind of making them almost smarter in these issues. Because what we're seeing here in the education system is the people who are teaching are just bringing up points that don't necessarily need to be brought up. Brought up, and it's similar to um, I know I don't know if you've studied critical theories, but like critical race theory, they they'll pull something into it that no one would have even thought of had not been pointed out. And so that's just like these kids, like when you're born, you don't necessarily um, immediately identify yourself as white and black. They just kind of are all kids together. It's when it starts getting pointed out and being, they're being told that they're different, that they start to, to see and feel differently. Oh, but Gracie, you're wrong. You're wrong though. This is the thing. Like, and it's so I'm, I say it as I'm as I'm kidding, like absolutely kidding. I totally agree with you. But like you are wrong in the sense that like there are critical race theorists out there that posted this. This was posted to the Arizona Department of Education that said babies as young as three months old can become racist. And here are some resources that you can use to make your three month old baby anti-racist. No, I wish I was kidding. This is like seriously real life. The Arizona Department of Education was like, yes, this is a good idea. Let me tell you how your three month old baby is a racist. Like. This is, you can't argue with it after a certain point. I was just thinking about the other day, um, a, my Turning Point USA club in college had a debate with the college Democrats. And I was just thinking the other day, I was like, that literally could not happen because critical race theory has completely negated any concept of reality. You can't use a statistic. Statistics are racist. You can't talk about math. Math is racist. You can't write because writing or grading is racist. And you know what? You're you're racist because at one point you were a three month old. So you have to be racist. Like there's just no, there's no middle ground at this point. Like we can't even have a conversation because we don't even have a starting point Jeez. to go off of. Yeah. That's crazy hearing it from your perspective like that, but it's, it's so accurate. I remember just the other day, like just on a very practical level, I was walking through Target and I see a book called Anti-Racist Baby on the on the shelf. But I was <laughs> laughing. What made it so funny yep. to me is that I was I saw that in the top shelf and I, I took a second and was like, what is this? <laughs> and then I looked at the book surrounding it and I saw the Bible, like a children's Bible, bottom shelf, like tucked away. It's funny the things that we're wanting to show and teach our kids versus what we're not and like the level of importance between the Bible and anti-racist baby, just as this is a very, very lighthearted practical example, but you know, it just kind of shows our priorities when we're teaching our children. Oh, absolutely. But the, I mean, this is everywhere. That's why we have to get rid of Dr. Seuss. We have to start indoctrination at a young age. I just saw my former boss posted on Twitter. He said, spotted at a toy store. And it was a, a climate change mug where you, when you put the, uh, when you put liquid in the mug, the state of Florida went away as if to show that like global warming is going to destroy the planet. We're all going to die and Florida is going to just fall off the face of the earth. I'm, I'm not kidding you. It literally says farewell Florida on the packaging. And this is something we give to our young kids. It's like it doesn't, it goes outside of the education system, which is maybe why I feel so passionate about it is because, you know, it starts in the education system. Sure. And then it moves its way into the toy, toy aisle at Target. Right. And just like you said, coming outside of the education system, I know you study a lot of um, kind of this 
education systems affect in the corporate work environment. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? What kind of things you're seeing and reporting on with with that incident? Yeah, it's actually really sad. So I preface this by saying my little sister is about to graduate college in a month and she wants to, well, she is going to work for one of the big four um, accounting firms. So that's KPMG, PwC, Deloitte, and um, oh, the fourth one is escaping me. And somebody's probably screaming into their microphone like, ah, it's this one, dummy. Um, oh, and, and it's not Morgan Stanley. Whatever. Someone will look it up and, and you'll tell me that I'm, you know, someone's screaming into the microphone right now. But um, it's the <laughs> big four, whatever the fourth one is. Those, um, you know, these corporations, this is what my sister dreams of working for and it's what she wants to do. And now she's doing it. And so it really hits home when I see that these corporations spend so much of their time instead of you utilizing your degree in accounting, you actually need to utilize you know, three quarters of your day taking an anti-racist training workshop and being told that if you don't believe their political beliefs as a corporation, you are not a sufficient employee. And to know that my own little sister is going to fall prey to that one day makes me really upset. And so I really started looking into that a little before she had decided that this was going to be her career path. Um, and, and dove in and it started with whistleblowers sending me information about trainings that were going on. It started at Deloitte and they had told employees that they needed to, um, they needed to believe in this, in this like diversity, equity, and inclusion thing, or, you know, they, they could risk being fired. So, so Deloitte, yeah. So Deloitte, actually told their employees that microaggressions are considered a punishable offense. So for people that don't know what microaggressions are because you're a normal human being and you're not offended by every little thing in the world, microaggressions are like unintentional acts. So one of the examples they gave, this was seriously a training scenario that Deloitte employees are forced to undergo and it told them that if you ask your black male colleague to join the flag football team or basketball team, you were inherently, you know, putting a microaggression on them because you were insinuating that a black colleague would want to be on a sports team, which is absolutely freaking insane for anybody that is a normal human being. Like you can, you should be able to ask any colleague, no matter the color of their skin, if they want to join you in your flag football team without worrying about, you know, whether you just can made a microaggression or not. But in the training, Deloitte told their employees that microaggressions, which are as small as saying literally the wrong thing, these are considered punishable offenses. And some of, I mean, they made seriously some of the most insane things. Let me read this to you because this one scenario from the training suggested that giving an Asian colleague a gift card to her favorite Asian restaurant is considered a form of racial bias. So this is what the scenario said. Your team is trying to determine which restaurant gift card to send Beth, your Asian colleague, for her birthday. Joanne, who is very good friends with Beth, has eaten lunch and dinner with Beth on numerous occasions. Suggest that the team send her a gift card from her favorite Japanese restaurant. Is Joanne's recommendation considered a form of racial bias? Absolutely freaking not! The girl goes to lunch with her all the time. She likes Japanese food. Who cares where she's from? If she likes Japanese food, give her a gift card to Japanese food. But you could get fired for that. We live in a... I mean, that's that's insane. And it doesn't start with... This doesn't start at Deloitte. This started 
in the college system. This started in the K through 12 public education system where these crappy ideas like critical race theory are created. And then they're slowly moved up via college kids that, that know this is their only way of thinking. And they think that this is okay. And they move this into the echelons, the top echelons of Deloitte, which is a huge, huge, one of the world's largest accounting and consulting firms. And, and these have hundreds of thousands of employees being told that if they don't believe this, they're going to be fired. That is insane to me. Absolutely. It's, it is insane, not just to you, but to anyone with a right mind. It is really awful to see how the education system is just affecting things in the work environment, just like you said. And that is a crazy example. But the problem with that is that it doesn't end there. It's going to keep continuing because we've been pushing this agenda for so long. But if the more we push it, the stronger it's going to get. And so that's kind of where we need to be able to stand up for for this and be able to make changes in the education system. So from your perspective, what improvements and changes do you think would help um, to get some of these consistent flaws fixed, um, for lack of a better word? Well, there's, it's too broad. First off, I'll start by saying colleges need to do a better job of just understanding. And I say colleges because I think most of the conversations happen in colleges in comparison to the K-12 system. Um, Colleges need to do a better job of living up to their free speech standards, especially if you're a public institution. If you say that you're for free speech, but your professors are docking students points because they write um, an essay from a conservative point of view, that's not freedom of speech. It's about these colleges living up to the expectations. And the unfortunate part is that it's not going to happen. So what has been happening on a lot of these college campuses are conservatives are winning the legal battles because the legal system is on the side of justice and the side of justice is on the side of free speech. So a lot of the litigation that's been going on has been really important. For instance, um, I've followed this story. This has been going on for almost a year and a half now. Um, A student at Florida State University, great guy, just, this is just such an unfortunate situation that happened to him. He, um, was the student senate president. So not the student body president, but president of the student government senate at Florida State University. And he had said in his Catholic group chat to be very careful about putting Black Lives Matter stickers or um, preaching Black Lives Matter dogma on social media, as a lot of it is antithetical to uh, Catholic doctrine. And so he said a very sweet message. It was like along the lines of, you know, just be careful about what you're posting because um, and come across, come across as like slightly hypocritical if you're preaching Black Lives Matter and also Catholic doctrine. Like the two do not go hand in hand, which is like a- absolutely accurate. Like True. that's just accurate. A, that's just a <laughs> fact. Like that's not debatable. Like that is a fact. Like being in favor of destroying the nuclear family is quite antithetical to Catholic values. I, I don't understand how that's up for debate. Regardless, uh, you know, somebody from within that Catholic group me posted a screenshot of what he said sent it out to the whole student body, the whole student body doxed him. And then the student Senate made a vote um, and voted to remove him from his state Senate seat. Meanwhile, they, you know, the person that led the uh, doxing and that that got him ousted from student government was put in his place. And that guy, I, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, so he won't, but he said, F Israel and F Israelis, stupid Jews, and said all this horrible stuff on social media and everyone was perfectly fine with it. So it's freedom of speech for those who say the things that they that you know college students don't mind them saying, which is so sad and so pathetic. Anyway, 
Jack, who was ousted from student right. government mm-hmm. for his Catholic beliefs, he ended up, he fought in court and he won. He got reinstated to his position. He got all backlogged pay for every day that he had missed and wasn't paid as a student senator. And I mean, it was, it was absolutely unbelievable. And that's how I think you fight this stuff is you go to, to you go through the law. That's the best way to do it. And now there's new organizations right now. Um, there's a great organization out there called Parents Defending Education. They're quite new, but they're awesome. And they're doing the exact same thing. They're going to start taking K through 12 public schools to court if they start pushing, pushing this race-based curriculum on kindergartners because it starts in kindergarten. You want to learn about how uh, George Washington and Christopher Columbus were a bad person? You don't need to wait until you're in fifth grade now. You get that in kindergarten. 15 years ago-ish, um, I was in kindergarten. I remember my education is completely just black and white different from relatives that I have going through elementary school now. And it's been less than two decades and this change is happening. So we can only imagine where it's going to be in another two decades from now. It's just going to continue to get worse and worse if we don't put a stop to it by speaking up. And like you said, the only way to really put a stop to it is working through legislation. But legislation begins with the culture. And that means actively speaking out about it, actively making it known that this is a problem. This isn't something that we should just be okay with and let happen because the more passive we are, the worse the culture is going to continue to get, the worse the education system, and then the corporate world is going to continue to get. We have to be open about what's going on. I couldn't agree. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's just, I feel bad for the parents out there. I truly do. That, or the Deloitte employee that doesn't want to speak up, not because they don't want to, but because they would lose their job and they're their family's main source of income. Or they don't want to speak out because they don't want their child to get doxxed at school or be treated different by teachers. And that's why I think fighting the legal battles, one, parents, if you're out there, you can do this anonymously. And also, you know, that's what these new organizations are popping up to do. Like, you can anonymously whistleblow to an investigative journalist. You can anonymously whistleblow to these legal organizations. Like, there has to be an increasingly more uh, emphasis on whistleblower documentation for the upcoming foreseeable future until people genuinely do feel more comfortable doing this and feel confident enough to push back on cancel culture. Because let's be honest, you would, well, not you, but I, I can speak for myself personally. If I get canceled tomorrow, I'm not going to lose my job. That's never going to happen. I could say something quite outrageous right now, and I'm sure I would still have a job. But that's not the same for a Deloitte employee. That's not the same for a public school teacher teaching in Virginia right now. It's just not. And so I think we need to be very realistic when we say, please speak out. And if you feel confident doing so, but know that there are real life ramifications. And people always say to me, oh, you're, you know, thank you for doing what you do. It's very inspirational. It's like, "Mm, no, thank you to the dad that actually spoke up about the bad things happening at his public school. That is way more effective than anything that I can do because it's coming and and genuinely attacking something that you've seen firsthand instead of secondhand. So yeah, I, I would love to say, you know, it's great. Like we should all talk about it. And like, that's what you and I are here for. But I do like to acknowledge that it's really tough for some people and rightly so. Right. I like that point. Thanks for bringing that up. I really do appreciate you being able to to look at both sides and be able to say something like that. Definitely shows why you're such a good reporter and journalist over here. But um, 
No, it's very accurate. And I think that's why we need to be able to have other call to actions besides necessarily Mm. speaking out publicly. For those who can speak out publicly, absolutely, we need to be more actively doing so. But like you're saying, for those who can't necessarily do that, who are at risk for their jobs, their education, we need to have other forms of action. Do you have any ideas for, for a different call to action for someone, for example, who is in a position where they're not able to speak out how can they still help with this situation whistle blowing that is the best way you can do it um I would go to court for somebody who tried to come after one of my sources if that even makes sense like I will go to bat for people that whistle blow anonymously if you have something that happens at your school and you are too afraid or your company and you're too afraid to talk about it Tell an investigative journalist and say you want to remain anonymous, and that's all you have to do. Or go tell Parents Defending Education, which is a national membership organization that focuses on this stuff. Go tell them, and I promise you, people will do everything in their power to keep you anonymous because it allows people to, it allows them to get another anecdote towards the message of uh, this needs to be stopped that you're trying to push. So it's beneficial for journalists and it's beneficial for um, organizations, but also, you know, it gets that story out and you're not just affecting you, you're affecting all the other people in the school district that think like you and were maybe too afraid to say something about it. So whistleblowing is right now, I think one of the most important things so that we can keep documenting this. For sure. That's an amazing call to action. And so now what I always like to do here is I like to always tie it back to the Christian perspective because I do have a primarily Christian audience. So from a Christian perspective, I know you're you're also a Christian. Why is it so important from that perspective that we take action on improving the education system? Absolutely. Um, I always tie it back to religious liberty. Um, a lot of the policies that are being pushed right now, particularly um, via critical race theory and even by the Biden administration right now, is this idea of anti-discrimination. Um, and it sounds really nice and all, but it does force schools, um, particularly private schools, too, to abandon religious principles in favor of gender politics right now. And to me, that is the biggest threat on religious freedom Uh, happening right now. And it is happening on college campuses, which is even more scary because it it really intrudes on Christian and um, religious spaces right now. And so I think the best example is right now College of the Ozarks, which is a conservative Christian school in Branson, Missouri, or nearby Branson, Missouri. Um, They're suing the Biden administration right now, because there's an executive order that puts biological males in female dorms, and that's incredibly antithetical to Christian value right now. Um, and or I guess I should say Christian doctrine, like biblical doctrine, um, even if because you can be Christian, I guess, and not believe that, although I find it a little hard to believe. But, um, you know, these <laughs> are, sure. yeah, I mean, these are these are crazy things that are happening right now. And if you don't fight back against it, then you're going to have this example where College of the Ozarks holds the belief that biological sex is not changeable and it wants to operate operate its dorms accordingly and it has to go to court in order to do that. And so I think that fighting back against the culture really helps to uh, you know fight back against some of this political stuff that goes on in the top echelons of government. So it, it does. It starts in these colleges and it's a good you can always look at what's going to happen on a college campus and five years later, it's going to be, it's going to be in regular culture. It's a breeding ground right now. These colleges in these public institutions in general, they're breeding grounds 
for ideas that are going to make their way into the larger sphere. And a lot of them are anti-Christian and anti-religion. And again, I hate to be cynical. Like I don't want to say this to fear monger. It's just something that the, the statistics show. It's just truly something where when you look at the data and you see that some ridiculous, it's like 60 something percent. I, I forget the, t- the statistic off the top of my head, but like 60 something percent of college kids believe that hate speech shouldn't be protected by the First Amendment. Like That should scare people. This is a breeding ground right now for people that have far left policy agendas that are antithetical to Christian views. And so I think that that's why it's so important, because it's not something that's just hypothetical. It's happening as we speak. That statistic is so terrifying, and everybody should be worried by that. I mean, even if you're not a Christian, if you have the morals of just hate speech is bad, that is just a terrifying thing to hear. But I'm so grateful that you are able to share your knowledge and share a kind of a call to action for the audience on how we can help stand up for this, whether it be verbally or anonymously, and to help make a change in what's going on. Thank you so much for giving your perspective on everything going on and any last words on a final call to action that we can give to the audience um, to help with everything going on in the world or help them to even just to stay educated on what's going on. Any any sources, anything that we can direct them towards? Of course, um, you know, just really try to stay abreast on all the all the content that you can read from the right, read from the left. Um, if you can, I would love if you guys would go over to um, you know, the Daily Wire, read some of my stuff and just get a good understanding of how education really can affect you. Um, and I know that everyone has their niche policy issues and there's always something to be interested in. Um, but especially if you have a younger audience, you know, I think about this stuff and it's better to be educated about education before you pop a child out of you, uh, because one day they're going to go to school and it would really suck to find out once you put your kids in a school that they had a really bad education system when you can prevent that. It's a very preventative thing for Christians to be able to do in the future. So reading about it now really just, you know, um, helps to kind of put you in the right perspective and right set of mind for education issues in the future. Well, you heard it here, folks. I'm so glad that we were able to have Chrissy Clark on today's episode, reporter for The Daily Wire, and just a super educated gal all around. I hope that you guys understand some of the things that are really going on in today's education system and how we can do our part in helping bring this education system back, get rid of the bias, and change, make a change in the world. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Beat the Culture. I'm your host, Grace Walker, and make sure to check out our Instagram at Beat the Culture. And make sure to check out our website too, beatthecultureculture.com for more information on what our brand is, what we're doing, new blog posts, and updates. See you guys again next week on Beat the Culture.